Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes podcast. I am your host, Dr. Paul Etchison. Monday, January 25th, got a really great guest today. I got Richard Maddow on, and he just, we just had a great time. Like, him and I just have a lot in common, and just going through just some dumb things that smart dentists do. That's what we're titling this, and he had a whole list of them, and I just really wish we could have got through more of them because they were just so stinking good. And even the questions at the end, just so much knowledge and wisdom, and I just know you're going to love this episode. So, you know, I'll just stop talking about it. We're going to get into it, and we're just going to, we're starting the show. Let's go. The Dental Practice Heroes Podcast. Business, communication, leadership, practice, and life success. It all starts with a hero. It all starts with you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Dental Practice Heroes Podcast, where we believe that armed with knowledge and intentionality, anyone can become the hero that their practice needs and deserves. I'd like to welcome my guest. He is the co-founder of the Meadow Center for Dental Practice Success, author of over 1,000 published articles, in-demand speaker, and a Dentistries Today leader in dental education for over 10 years. Known for his hilarious, spontaneous style and content-packed programs, he loves teaching dentists and team members how to enjoy their careers, supercharge their practices, define and create their own personal success, increase profitability, and have more fun than ever before. Please welcome to the podcast Dr. Richard Maddow. Paul, thank you so much. It is my pleasure and honor to be here. And I am just flattered that I'm considered a dental practice hero, at least for this one hour. A dental pra- I mean, what could be better than that? You know, we're always saluting the heroes. And wow, I, I finally feel like one of them. As well, a- welcome to the club, man. I'm glad to have you on because, you know, we, we've never met in person, but I followed your, your Vegas seminar, which it, t- tell the listeners what it's called again. Yeah, well, call it past tense is correct. It's called TBSE, the best seminar ever. But before you think, I think we created the greatest thing ever. It used to be called in the, in the very early days, the Richards Report Super Fall Seminar. That was our newsletter back in those days. That doesn't sound as fun. Right. And and then (laughs) about three years in, some of the attendees just started referring to it internally as TBSE, the best seminar ever. So we decided, we decided to switch the name to that. And after 25 years, 22 of them being in Las Vegas, we decided to retire TBSC. And it was so lucky because that was November 2019. Oh, okay. That was not a good time to be sitting on a multi six figure hotel contract. So I'm just really, really grateful that it ended that way on our own terms. Yeah. What timing? Because you would think that it was the COVID and all they shut down, they had to cancel it. But no, you you canceled before that. I just remember seeing the videos because it was. I was thinking of taking my team to Vegas. And, you know, I'll tell you honestly, what kept me from coming was paying for Vegas hotels and Vegas bar tabs, to be honest. But I remember <laughs> people jumping around and lasers and and dancing. And it just it looked cool, man. It looked like yeah, it was time. crazy. I mean, besides the excellent speakers, which we always had excellent speakers, it was a real rock and roll cut loose seminar. And along with naming it TBSC, somehow the attendees started wearing weird costumes and it really <laughs> called on. And year after year, it grew. I remember that. I mean, we had 3,000 people in the audience, 2,000 of whom are wearing just bizarre costumes that made absolutely no sense. The hotel staff just thought we were nuts and yeah. nobody could believe it was actually a dental seminar. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. Everyone's thinking it's like a comic book thing or something. What's with all the co- maybe it's cos- <laughs> right. Maybe it's cosplay. Who the hell knows? That's awesome. Some group of weirdos. Yeah. yeah. So, so, Richard, before we talk about our topic... Why don't you just give the listeners a brief intro, like your journey in dentistry from beginning to where you are now. I know it's going to be hard to sum that up, but just give a a quick summary. Wow. I'll try to do it quickly. I'm a dentist, just like all of you, or I know some of your team members, but I'm a dentist. And I've finished my residency in Miami Beach in 1985. I moved back to my hometown of Baltimore. And after a couple horrible associateships, set up my own practice. And my brother, Dave, my older brother, Dave, is a dentist as well. So he was practicing in a different suburb of Baltimore. And we used to get together as our practices were growing and have like mini mastermind meetings. We didn't realize that's what we were doing, but we were always talking about our practice stories and our failures and our successes and, and growing our practices that way. And as our practices continued to grow, we started developing some business forms to use in our practices. And one of which was a collection form that we mailed to slow paying patients. Because again, this is the 80s. We used to bill our patients back in those days, if you can believe it. 
And the thing worked great. There was something about the look and the wording, and people would literally, after they received this thing in the mail, run to the office, cash in hand, look, oh, I'm going to pay right away. It was just crazy. <laughs> we started you know, letting our friends who were dentists use that form, and it, it just everybody loved it. And we decided to start a little business just based on this one collection form. So we took some courses in direct mail. It was literally a kitchen table, garage, and pickup truck business that we invested $2,000 each in. And so we're not putting another dime into this thing. But if we make a profit, we'll roll that into more mailings and ads. And within about a year, we had 30,000 dentists across the country using our little collection form. And somehow, other people heard about it. We had florists and funeral homes and plumbers. I mean, it was was nuts. That's some form. Some form. People still purchase it, believe it or not, in in 2021 or whatever the heck year it is. So that led to dental economics saying, hey, can you guys write some articles for us? And I wrote some articles for them. And that led to an independent news- newsletter called the Richards Report, which, again, pre-internet, there was really nowhere for dentists to vent and put in print that insurance companies suck and give real reviews of products because you know you couldn't do that in the ad-based journal. So mm-hmm. that grew into a cult following, which led to I'll end the story here because I know I'm way over time, but that led to everything else, seminar appearances that led into us helping other practices through coaching and consulting, which is what we're still doing now, TBSE and many other fun adventures along the way. So it's been over 30 years of helping dentists grow their practices. And we always think that if you're not enjoying it, it's not worth it. Who cares how much money you're making if you're not having fun? So we always mm-hmm. want dentists to earn money and enjoy themselves while they're doing it. That's always been our kind of underlying philosophy. And I'm having a blast doing it as well. It's just, it's been great. And I've met so many cool dentists and team members over the decades. And I'm, I'm glad to meet you too, because you've got an incredible story. I'm really, really impressed with what you've accomplished. No, thanks. Yeah. You know, we, t- for listeners, we talked for a little bit and got to know each other before hitting the record button, Found out that we're both music people, both recording stuff, and uh, we have a, we have a lot in common. So I'm excited to do this podcast with you and, and hear what you have to say. We're going to talk about dumb things that dentists do because we're all dentists and and sometimes we do dumb things. So <laughs> so what are these dumb things that we're we're just so guilty of and 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 what do we do about it? So what are some dumb things? I just want to say that I like to call this dumb things that smart dentists do because, because oh, yeah. all, you know, dentists are so smart. I'm always impressed with how intelligent dentists are when I meet them. But sometimes the, the smartest people do the dumbest things, right? And I'm sure you've done a few. I've certainly done a few. And it's easier to learn from someone else's mistakes than to learn the hard way. So let's talk about some dumb things that smart dentists do and maybe people will pick up some tips along the way. All right. I'll, I'll start with one dumb thing that smart dentists do. I would say 70 to 80% of the time when a dentist contacts us at the matter center and says, I want to work with you guys, you know, find out about coaching, consulting, whatever. And we'll say, sure, tell us a little bit about your practice and your struggle. They always say, not always, many times will say, we need more new patients. We need more new patients. And people get, we get so hung up on that new patient fix. And there are courses and institutes and, you know, everything just focusing on new patients. And look, new patients are great. We need new patients. Your practice doesn't really grow without new patients. But every single time without fail, when we do a deep dive into their data and really look at their numbers, because you can't figure out what to fix if you don't really know the numbers, we find that they have the biggest backdoor on their practice on the face of the earth. They've got patients who have come in and they've done referral programs and marketing and butt kissing and all the great things you do to get patients in your office. But then once they come in, they lose them almost as quickly as they came in. So they've got kind of this revolving door. I tell Dennis, it's like you've done all this work and a big bus full of new patients pulls up to your office and they all get out single file and they walk through and they stop in the hygiene room and they stop in the treatment room. But 80% of them keep walking and go right out through the back door. So I find that a dumb thing that smart dentists do is get too hung up on the new patient fix without really getting their systems in place to take care of the patients they've already got. And sometimes we'll call this the million-dollar file cabinet. They've diagnosed and presented a million dollars worth of treatment, and they, they don't know where the patient is. Yeah, yeah, and it's so true. And, and I remember a time, maybe four years into my startup, that we decided to do some, I think we did dental intel. I no longer do dental intel, but it, we just wanted to get some metrics, and see how things were. And I was blown away. Now, we were seeing tons of new patients. 
but I was blown away at the attrition, the people that were going inactive that we were losing. And we really weren't growing because we weren't focusing on the systems like reappoint or, and we weren't really, I mean, we just new patients, new patients. It's like a drug and, and the new patients need stuff. It's great. But there's also that value in the, the existing patient. And I have that with my patients that have been with me for many years. I tell them they need a crown. They don't even question it anymore. There's a loyalty to it where that new patient, you know, it's a little bit of an uphill climb. I so agree. And I love dental Intel. We use dental Intel for all of our coaching clients. And it's funny, my favorite dental Intel's got the best graphs and pie charts. I love that kind of stuff. It makes everything so easy to look at. My favorite graph or chart on dental Intel is one where they've got a horizontal line and then in blue going above the line are your new patients for the month. And in red going underneath the line are your patients who have attrition. Is that a word? Yeah. They've left your practice. Mm-hmm. And the red line is always longer than the blue line. And so your, your net is so many practices is negative, but people just don't realize it. And they've worked so hard to get these patients in the door and then don't do enough to keep them there. So that's a dumb thing that smart dentists do. Well, what, what are some ways, I mean, if somebody's listening there, you know what, I don't put much focus into this. Maybe I need to look and find out what my number is. They reach out, they, they get dental until practice by numbers, divergent dental, and they find out what their attrition is. What are some easy, just, you know, low hanging fruit ways to keep the patients in the practice? Yeah, great question. Well, a lot of people will say, well, look, we're doing everything we can. We've got Revenue Well or one of the great automated systems, which I love those things. They're fantastic. And then we've got Madge at the front desk going through every patient record and she's calling them to see what happened to them. And then you, you listen in on Madge and she's saying, you know, hey, this is Madge at, at Dr. Maddow's office and you're overdue for your cleaning. Please give us a call. Boom. That doesn't work. You, know, you need to have a serious reactivation program and use your automated system. That's fine. But it's got to be personal because if it's not personal, the patient knows they're just a number. You don't really care. So, I mean, call, call, you know, call Julie and say, Julie, this is magic. Dr. Maddow's office. And I see you haven't been in for a while. Now you were getting that knee replacement surgery. So I understand how that goes. Everything. Okay. Are you, you welcome? How are the kids? Blah, 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 blah. Hey, look, last time you were in Becky, your hygienist talked to you about some inflammation in your gums and this and that. And, you know, we just happen to have an opening next week and we'd love to see you back. Just, you know, make it personal. And yeah. if, if Madge says, well, I moved on to another dentist or, you know, we moved out of town because of my job. Well, at least you know what happened. But mm-hmm. really do a, a true reach out, make a personal call, every single person. And if you're getting a voicemail, I, I've seen this too. People say like, you know, this is Magic, Dr. Maddow's office. We're calling to see if you're ready to schedule your appointment. You never hear back from them. But on a voicemail, I like saying just something like, it's important that you call us as soon as possible. Voicemail is tough, but at least you're doing something to entice the patient to call you back. Yeah, I love that verbiage. Well, you've got too. to have a system and a protocol. Yeah, the, the verbiage means a lot, but the main thing is have a system, have a protocol. Don't just say, oh, well, you know, we're going to send a postcard in the revenue well, and when they're ready, they'll call us. You've got to put more effort into it than that, and it's worth it. Yeah, and it's a low-hanging fruit. They've already been in your office. Hopefully, they already like you, and, and like you said, you've already diagnosed it. So, yeah, great, great tip. Absolutely. Awesome. So so what's a, an, another thing? Let's, let's just shoot through these, and we're going to talk about a lot of things, I got a feeling. Sure. Here's one. And you may disagree with it, with this one because I know some people do. But <laughs> along with the new patient fix, I think dentists get way too hung up on the new technology fix, meaning I'm going to spend a ton of money on this new piece of technology. And that is going to be the thing that turns around my practice. And I right. just want to preface it. Well, it's too late to preface because I've already started it. <laughs> but I just want to say I'm, I'm not a Luddite. I think technology is great. I think a cone beam gives an image that we only could have dreamed of years ago. And if you're the kind of person that loves to do same day crowns and you want to get involved with a Sarah, well, that is an incredibly cool technology and on and on and on and on. But these things are so aggressively sold by salespeople that are incredibly skilled at ripping money out of your pocket and they don't care if the thing works in your practice or not. And they they're going to convince you that this piece of equipment will turn your practice around. And all you need to do is buy this cone beam and this Sarek and people will be lined up at your door. And then again, when people call us to talk about coaching, we start looking at their practice data. They're making payments on these very expensive technologies and they're not bringing patients in the door. And as I always say, I'll only get that crown done. If you can do it all in one visit, said no patient ever. Yeah, it's great if you can do <laughs> it's it. True. You're not going to lose a patient because of it. Don't let that person talk you into spending six figures thinking that it's if you don't do it, patients will be leaving your practice because they just won't. So technology is amazing. I think it's fabulous. But 
if you can't afford it, because there's no guarantee, nobody's going to guarantee the ROI on a piece of technology. We had the status calls a couple years ago. I don't even know what he was talking about. He said he went to a course and they told him about this thing. And I just called it a pain machine. It was like some gadget mm-hmm. and you hold it up to a patient's face. And if they're having TMJ pain or muscle spasms, it magically disappears. Ooh. And he got convinced that this was going to save his practice. And he took his whole team down to Florida to take this course. He spent tens of thousands of dollars picturing this line outside of his practice wrapped around the block. And of course, nothing happened except he lost his shirt. So you've got to plan for big expenses like this and don't think that they're going to solve your practice woes. Yeah, and it's so true. And I I have a cone beam and I have a CEREC. We didn't pull the trigger on the CEREC until we got to the amount of crowns per month that I knew it would pay for itself at that point. And that's not the same number that I was told by the Patterson rep. The Patterson rep was quoting me probably one third of what I calculated the, the, the number to be. Same thing with the, you know, you're right, the comb beam. Did it change my practice? None of it changed my practice. What changed my practice was the way we treated people and the systems and, and, and the personal touches that we did. But yeah, you're so true. And I know a lot of, I wouldn't say unsuccessful dentists, but average dentists that have a lot of technology, but not enough patients to perform it on. So, so true. That's a great, great statement. It's yeah. so true. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, let's, let's just keep shooting. Like what else you got? <laughs> I'll use a Southern phrase, even though I'm not Southern. Although Maryland's kind of we're in between. Some people think we're Southern. Some people think we don't. But one of my my favorite like Southern old adages is dance with who brought you. <laughs> and a lot of dentists just refuse to dance. Now, it's a little odd that we're both talking about that because we're both people who had you know very successful dental practices and maybe are, are starting to get into another form uh, part of the dental industry, helping mm-hmm. other dentists. And I'm so thankful that I'm able to do that. But I'm going to say for most dentists, they get distracted by outside things like I'm going to, you know, oh, my, my cousin's got a brewery. I'm going to invest in that. And I won't have to worry about crowns anymore. Or we're going to, I got involved in this MLM and I'm going to sell $80 bottles of crappy hand lotion in my dental practice. And that's going to be the cure for everything. And look, if, I, if three people sign up and then three people sign up under them and I'm going to spend all my time and effort doing that. Meanwhile, the thing that brought you, if you're a dentist, is doing the things that we do best, doing endo core and crown several times a day, you know, doing implants with abutments and crowns, doing scaling and root planing, the great procedures that so many people need that you're really good at, that's what's going to do it for you. And dentists get so distracted. And look, and again, I have nothing against sleep dentistry. I think it's incredible if a patient has sleep apnea and you can see them in your practice and make them healthier by giving them appliance. I mean, that's unbelievably fabulous. But it's not going to be the, the, the cure to your practice woes. It's going to be an ancillary service that you can offer people that they're going to appreciate. But your real bread and butter stuff is what's going to give you the, what you want. You want a higher revenue when you want to enjoy dentistry, and that's how you're going to do it. And then, you know, a lot of dentists think that opening up a second practice is going to be something also that makes them really happy and healthy. And some dentists definitely can do it, but I think most dentists that try, and I hate the term satellite practice. Like, what the heck does that mean? Your yeah. practice is rotating the, the sun, and, you know, that, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not your real practice. So if you want to get real treatment, you come to the real one. But, you know, if you're, if you're willing to take a chance. Yeah. And, and they just wind up, again, getting distracted, doubling their overhead, having more staff issues, having an associate they have to worry about. For most dentists, they can make it really big in their one main practice doing bread and butter dentistry. Yeah. And so true. And, and I see some dentists that they need that satellite. I need that satellite because I'm not busy enough at my one location, but what if you could get busy at that one location? Like what if you could really take that time you spend at that satellite practice and invest that into like figuring out what system, what can we do with marketing? What are, where, where are we missing in that? So, and it's funny you say this, I'm guilty of it too. Like I, I, I do multi-unit apartment buildings. I own a few six units and it, this is the fun time of the year where I get to reconcile my books and see what it was all worth, you know, and, and I get to see the profit and I go, wow, man, like now, now I have management companies that do it, but I used to manage it myself and holy moly, what a waste of time, dollar per hour, what I was making on those buildings. And, and it got to the point where it was emotionally draining and I'm just like, I'd be better off just cutting crowns. Like, what am I doing? Why am yeah. I spending so much time? I'm over here salting a sidewalk today. You know, it's like, what the heck is this worth? You know, right? Who, and, and your renters are having crack parties and smashing the walls. And, you know, who knows what's going <laughs> yeah, on in there? You know, it's guys, yeah. it's 
But yeah, I, I got a feeling that you're gonna. I'm guilty of everything that you're saying today. But go ahead. Let, let's hear the next one. And so am I. So, so you're we're three for three. <laughs> I have a feeling you're not going to be guilty of this one because you have already said a few things or some insinuations during our short conversation already that I have a feeling you're not guilty of this. But I think a, a dumb thing that smart dentists do is, and I'm, I'm I know you can't see me, but I'm putting up air quotes with my fingers, is trying to sell dentistry and. There are courses upon courses and podcasts and YouTube videos, et cetera, et cetera, on how to sell dentistry. And it's usually, you know, some guy in a plaid blazer telling you, okay, here's what happens. You got to throw that huge treatment plan in front of the patient. And if they say this, you say that. And then if they say this, you counter with that. And then if they say this, you say, well, isn't this the kind of dentistry that you actually want? You know, what's wrong with you, you idiot? Don't you want a great smile? Can you appoint tomorrow? And, and all these lines. And it doesn't work because dentistry is not a commodity. Now, you know, we always make fun of car salesmen, but there's nothing wrong with an honest, ethical car salesman. But the fact is, if they're selling a Nissan Rogue in one part of town, it's the same Nissan Rogue in another part of town. So they've got to use these techniques to get you to buy from them or else they know you can go somewhere else and get the exact same car. But dentistry is not that way. I, I think our patients need to know that our office is special that we're offering an experience and a quality of service they can't get anywhere else. So you don't, you shouldn't have to sell dentistry. You know, the thing to do is you cultivate a relationship with your patient where they like you and they trust you. And you don't panic if you diagnose treatment and they don't say yes right that very minute. You don't try to twist their arm and squeeze them by using these tacky, cheesy lines on them. You just know that, hey, I'm working on my relationship with this patient and they trust me and they have confidence in me. And if they're not ready to get this crown today, they're going to be ready two months from now. Or when the cuts breaks, they're going to come to me or whatever it is. Because I've done things the right way. My patients love our office. They trust me and they know I'm a good dentist. Mm -hmm. so I think that's a dumb, dumb thing that smart dentists do is try to sell or oversell dentistry. Well, it reminds me like in my off year, I was telling you about the year that I, I was just with my band and, and I didn't go to dental school. I worked at Radio Shack and they had lots of sales training. <laughs> I can only imagine the stories you must have from working at Radio Shack. <laughs> but they had lots of sales things like, and it was these closing things, all these other things. So did you want this phone or this phone? And the, the and we, we tried on customers and they'd be like, I, I didn't say I wanted either of those phones. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it reminds me like I was buying a car once and I, I negotiated the price because like it's a commodity. I called some different places, said, you know what? I want it for this price. Call me back if you want. One person called back. And then I got there and it wasn't what he said on the phone. And I said, you know what? Like, because I was trading in the car. I said, this isn't what you said. Well, uh, we, well, this, that, that. And I said, you know what? I'm just going to leave. Give me my keys. And he held up the keys for the new car and said, sweet, we made a deal. And yeah. that was like his closer. And I'm like, I'm like, guy, did that ever work in the history of sales? Like, no, I was asking for my keys because I'm getting the F out of here. Yeah. Oh, it's, but I love it because one of the things that changed my presentation with my patients was not going in there and doing dentistry right away, not talking dentistry. But like, kind of like you and I did before we started recording, we got to know each other. We 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 talked about personal things. We 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 became friends. And I think if anyone wants to see more patients say yes to what they're recommending, you've got to get to know the patient. They have to know you on a more personal level, other than just the authoritarian figure that's telling them what they need in their mouth. And I think that's what you're saying. You know, it's funny. Last night I actually was a, a guest speaker on a webinar, which was it was incredible. This periodontist in Detroit. Dr. Joe Nemeth sponsored this webinar. They had like a thousand attendees. I was wow. blown away. Yeah. But the, the topic was 10 ways to create a memorable patient experience in your practice. And I went through one by one the steps that you have to take when you have a new patient in. And one of them was exactly what you said. It's like, you better not say a word about teeth until you've made five minutes of chit chat or small talk mm -hmm. with that patient. There's so much you can talk about. Just stay away from religion and politics. Yes. Anything else is fair game or sex, maybe <laughs> anything else is fair yeah. game. And if you're, if you're really, you know, you're not a great conversationalist, you're not good at small talk, just look the patient in the eye and say, so tell me about yourself. And everybody has an interesting story. Every yes. person on the planet has an interesting story. If you just had that patient get, get back in the chair for the first time, you say, okay, open wide. Uh, imagine we've got a uh, tooth number three, MRD amalgam. You're done. Yeah. You can't do it that way. You're right. It's easy. And some people, it's hard to make that conversation, but people love to talk about themselves. So just ask. Absolutely. All right. Hit us with, let's see. I think we got time for one or two more. So, whoa, man. Now I'm getting a little nervous now. <laughs> <laughs>
Let them make it a two part. <laughs> we tend to care so much about the skills and talents of our clinical team, and then maybe throw somebody, whoever has a pulse and can fog a mirror at the front desk and not give them the proper training. The front desk person is the door to your office. If people go on your website, sure, but when they're ready to make that appointment, they call. And every new patient, 90% of new patients come through that telephone. And on our podcast, we do secret shopper calls every week. And it's actually sad how funny they are because I, <laughs> you said you're a golfer. I'm not a golfer, but I, I know a few golf terms. I tee this ball up like it's the easy. I mean, I tee it up 10 inches like you can't miss it. And they yeah. still don't offer the appointment. I, I mean, it's just unbelievable how you can have somebody call. Look, nobody's calling your office and saying, I need four crowns, two implants, three endos, and scaling and root planning. I've got $20,000 cash. Can I come in next week? They call with what we might consider a stupid question, or they're a shopper. You know, How much is the cleaning? Do you take my insurance? That's fine. That patient called your office. Let's not forget. And then the person who answers the phone is going to say, hold, please, or cleaning's $80. Is there anything else I can help you with? Okay, thanks. Instead of being warm and kind, and then at the very end, say, we'd love to see you as a new patient. Dr. Etchison's amazing. You're going to love him. We can see you today at 430. Or if that's not convenient, we've got tomorrow at 11. What's best for you? They just don't do it. And is it the front desk person's fault? No, we haven't given them the proper training. So we've got to make sure our front desk people are well-trained and super sharp. Yeah, and we don't. And it's so true. And for these dentists that come back to the first thing, the new patients, we want more new patients. How about some phone skills for the front desk? And I can tell you when I've taken the time. Now, I would recommend that you listen to phone calls at least once a month with your team, with your front end team. Do I do that? No. Is it in my book? Yes. Do I actually do that? I don't do it that often. But when I do, man, after we do that for a few times, the way they answer the phone, you can just, you get more Google reviews that are five star. Everything goes better because you're starting it off on a, on a good there's the first interpersonal contact with your office is that fo- first phone call. So, so true. we don't do and, you know, it. It's funny. Don't Everybody it. says, oh, yeah, we track all of our new patients. We know if they came from referral or PPO or Google or whatever. But something that, that most practices don't track is just a call log. Every time the phone rings, write down that call, who it was, what the call was about, and then what was the result of that call. And you'll find that it puts your front desk person on their toes a little bit more. The phone rings. It was a new patient. Yeah, I got their name. I got their phone number and email address. And this is why they called. Well, if you're going to be looking at that every day, they're just going to try a little harder to make the appointment because they know that if they don't, you're going to say, hey, what happened? This person called. They never made it into the appointment book. What's up? So that's the kind of call log that if you're going to do it, really makes sense. Well, I mean, it sets the expectation of what what the goal is. And, and, and this is something I do with my front desk, that the goal of Answering the phone is to get the new patient, to get them to schedule. Whereas, you know, how much is a crown? Or, you know, it's a, it's a thousand bucks. Okay. Anything else? Okay. Thank you. That's not doing your job. That's not a, that's not a success. I mean, yes, you helped the patient with their question, but no, you, you didn't do it. And, and I tell them the same thing with presenting treatment. It's not about presenting the finances and showing the patient what they're going to owe and all this stuff and asking them if they want to schedule. And if they say no and they have no, had you have any questions? No. Okay, cool. I did my job. Pat myself on the back. No, you, you need to be that advocate for the patient. It's such a big part of our practice, but it literally receives no training. And, and yeah. this is something my listeners will, you, you know that I harp on this. So I'm glad that you brought that up. Anything else you want to add to that? I want to do one more, man. I, I'm just loving this stuff. So, oh, wow. Okay, I'll do this one's a little more broad or esoteric, or maybe not esoteric, but whatever you want to call it. Too many smart dentists do the dumbest thing in the world, which is having a negative happiness equation. And the happiness equation, the negative happiness equation means that you work because you're earning money, you're miserable at work, but you're thinking, well, if I make enough money at work, then I can have fun on the weekends because I can go do whatever I want. I can travel. I can go out to a fancy dinner. I can buy a Mercedes convertible. I can get a boat, blah, blah, blah. So you're, you're trading in the best hours of your life, your daylight hours during the week where you should be helping people and enjoying yourself in the hopes of using that negativity or misery to then get enough money so that you can have fun on the weekends. Well, now the weekend comes along. You're so stressed out on Saturday because you hated your work as a dentist. Then the next day, Sunday, you've got the Sunday night blues because you're dreading driving to the office on Monday Guilty. morning. <laughs> no way. I doubt that that's you. I cannot even imagine. <laughs> we'll just let you continue. <laughs> <laughs> that's a negative happiness equation. You are trading happiness 
five days a week or four days a week because you think it's going to bring you happiness the other days and it doesn't work and it leads to stress and psychological issues and then you know trying to buy toys to make you happy and, and doing things you shouldn't be doing to make you happy we all know that dentists are notorious for unhealthy bad habits and, and i think it's because they have negative happiness equations so you've got to figure out how to be happy at work because you're just wasting your life if you're not and dentistry is tough and i'm not that polyanic that i'm going to say every day in the dental office is great because some days are just going to flat out suck but you should like it most days and enough that you're looking forward to going to work in the morning or else what good is it? Jeez, who cares how much money? You know, I was in a lecture once and I think I'll never forget this because the lecturer said money doesn't buy happiness, but you can be miserable in some really nice places. And everybody cracked up and started clapping. <laughs> I thought, you know what? That's the stupidest thing I ever heard because the last thing I want to do is be on the Amalfi Coast and be miserable. It just makes no sense to me. So you got to figure out how to be happy at work. And a lot of it has to do with the people you surround yourself with, has to do with your team. I'm not saying you should be close, close, close buddies with your team and all vacation together, but you should like slash love every single person you work with every day and respect them and think highly of the job they do. And they should do, and vice versa, they should do the same for you or else it's really tough to enjoy your work. Yeah, that's so true. And and I love the team stuff. And, and and you don't know about this about me, Richard, but we have 37 people right now going on almost nine years. Not a single person has ever left. Like I still have the same team. Wow. Now, I didn't always have 37, but we had a meeting yesterday and there's a little bit of a front versus back thing happening right now. And we just had to remind everybody of last March when we were all on this Zoom call and we were all talking about how we we're going to close down and we're not going to see each other for two months. And there were, everyone was crying and everyone was so sad that they weren't going to see their best friends for two months. And just remind everybody, yeah, we haven't got together and done anything together in a really long time, but we still love each other. And I said, you know, I know some people are arguing in the team, but I can't think of a single person out of your 37 that I dislike. I love you all. Like, I really enjoy spending time with you. And Did I, you say that to them? I did. Yes. Oh, I said that's great. That. That's so powerful. I told him, I said, I, I like everybody. There's no one I dislike. And I'm like reminding everyone, we like each other. We're just going through this weird time where we're not getting able to connect as much, but we'll get through it. So can I tell you a quick story before we move on to the next? Yeah, part do it. Podcast? I'm loving your stories. I almost want to kill through your whole list, but we're running out of time. Yeah, go. <laughs> it, it has to do with that. So many years ago, Dave and I, Dave is my brother. He's also a dentist and he's my partner in the Maddow Center. We had, I think, like 22 employees at that time. We've really phased things down now, fortunately. But in those days, things were different. You know, you couldn't automate as many things. We had about 20 employees. And it was right before the holiday dinner, the annual holiday dinner. And Dave and I got there way early. And we're at this beautiful steakhouse. And we've got a big, long table and everything's great. And we got there early because we had place cards. Because we knew we had to put out place cards. Because we couldn't put Linda next to Harry. Because they don't like each other. We couldn't put Sally next to Gene. Because they just gossip and cause trouble. We couldn't put this person near that person. And then I said, well, hell, if I'm sitting next to so-and-so. So I don't want that. I want that person way across the table from me. And as we're laying out the place cards, we're thinking, what's wrong with this picture? We shouldn't need place cards. Every person should be comfortable sitting next to everyone else, us included. And, and then we decided from now on, when we hire somebody, they have to pass the place card test, meaning, okay, they might be good at, at what they do at work, but if we wouldn't want to sit next to this person at the annual holiday dinner, if we wouldn't want to go out with them for a beer after work and, and chat for 90 minutes and laugh and have a good time, they shouldn't be working in our office. And it made such a big difference. Wow. That's, that's profound. I, I love that you said that too, because when we interview people, we do... It's me, it's my office manager, and it's usually two or three other people are going to go meet this person. We have to like them. They have to, yeah. It's just about well, likability. Everyone's got to get along. It's the place card factor. They've got to pass the place card factor. I, I love that term. I'm going to use it. Cool. <laughs> Please. All right, man, let's move on to our next segment where we share little systems that add up to big results. Dr. Meadow, what is your little system? Can I give a couple real fast? Do it. I don't know if you want to call these systems. I call them more small tips. Ones I'll call the hygiene check system. I find it's the biggest waste of time in a dental practice that a hygiene patient is checked by the doctor at the end of their visit. There's always somebody waiting for someone else. And I found it used to cause us to run late and the hygienist will get frustrated. The doc will get frustrated. So we just started instituting the system whenever I'll say when I was the doctor, if I had a few minutes, you know, waiting for a patient to get numb, 
my sister was making a beautiful temporary, we finished something earlier, whatever. I would just go right into the hygiene room. The hygienist would see me coming in. She would risk the patient out, sit them up, give the spiel. I'd grab the instruments, check, 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 check. Little small talk for 90 seconds. Oh, great. Thanks for referring this. How's your cut? Blah, 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 blah. Leave the room. Nobody ever had to wait for anybody else. It made our lives so much better. It was a little difficult to get used to because hygienists are used to us seeing their patients when they're all shiny and clean. But once you get over that hurdle, everybody loved it. And it made things just run so much more smoothly. Yeah, I love that. We did that at my office when we had a maternity leave and I was checking three columns of hygiene. We were like, how can we figure out how to do this? And that was our solution. Don't wait till the end. Do it in the middle. Interrupt the hygiene appointment. Cool. All right. Well, that, that'll be my little system. Sounds like it works. Okay. Did you have another one? You said you had a, a few. I mean, again, these aren't really systems. They're more little tips. Everybody knows this. Everybody knows they should do it. But people just forget to do it. I call it the blue sheet because before electronic records, I used to do this on a blue index card. But it's just simply make a personal note about your patients. Listeners, you've heard this 10,000 times. But I've observed in so many dental offices, and I'm amazed that people just don't do it. You make some personal notes about your patients. So the next time they come in, you can say, oh, Mrs. Johnson, by now you're probably a new grandma. Tell me, let's see some pictures. They light up when you do that. And then a song comes on and you know that they like that band. You say, oh, I know you love the Beatles. Do you like this song? And they just, they think that you actually remember personal things about do. them when you didn't. But you know, you've got 2,000 <laughs> people to worry about. You can't. <laughs> and you've got to act like you're, you're just remembering this. And patients love it. And again, Paul, I'll say that your listeners have heard this a thousand times. But from my experience in observing dental practices, they're just not doing it. And it takes 30 seconds and make a big deal out of it. Patients just love it. Yeah, it blows people away for sure. All right, let's move on to the segment where we celebrate that all of us are human and that none of us is perfect, Dr. Meadow. Are you ready to get real? Everybody get down. It's about to get real in here. What is the biggest struggle at your business right now and what are you doing about it? Wow, tough question to answer. I gotta say, our business, so I haven't owned a dental practice for a long time, but at the Meadow Center, we've done so many different things. But our, our main business, the thing that makes us happen is our coaching. And, you know, we coach practices all over North America, and the pandemic has really made it difficult. At first, I thought, wow, we're going to have to coach our practices virtually. Can we do it? And I'm amazed how successful it's been. In some ways, I think virtual coaching has been better than in-person coaching as far as practice success. I'm amazed. But the struggle is dentists are still afraid to step forward. Dentists that you know we've had contact with, they say they need coaching. These days, they're afraid to pull the trigger more than ever before to make that decision that, yes, I want to invest in my practice and have coaching done. And just because there's so much uncertainty. Just like I said, you can't sell dentistry. Well, we can't sell coaching. I don't want to sell coaching. I want people to make that decision on their own that they want to work with us. And Fortunately, because we've been around so long and have a great reputation and blah, 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 it hasn't been difficult to do. But it's difficult during COVID to get somebody to finally say, okay, I'm signing the agreement. I'm writing the first check. I want to start coaching because I think we're just waiting to see that better things are around the corner, better things are around the corner, and better things will be around the corner. But I kind of liken it to if you're an office that markets for new patients, well, you don't wait until your patient flow has gone to zero before you start your marketing again. You do it constantly. You always have to constantly be working on things. And I think no matter what the times are, we always have to be working on practice improvement. And the practices that have started during the pandemic are really doing well and they really appreciate it. But our struggle has been, it's not as easy to get a practice started as it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, I totally could see that. Number two, if you could go back in time to the beginning of your career, what do you wish you could tell yourself? Well, I don't have that much to say about this because I've really enjoyed, in a way, learning things the hard way. But I will say, since you're a musician, I'm a musician, I'll, I'll quote one of my favorite singer-songwriters, and that's Warren Zevon. And it's not even a quote from one of, one of his songs. As you may know, he died of cancer a few years ago. And it was one of those situations where he knew he had cancer, he knew he was going to die, but he was still making music, and the songs got kind of morbid, it was really weird. But I remember, I think he was on a late night talk show, and they asked him the same question, what advice would you give yourself? And I loved his advice, and his advice was, enjoy every sandwich. And I just, oh, it makes me cry to say it. If you, and if you're not sure what it means, or my interpretation of what it means, it means there are so many 
moments in our lives of small pleasures. You know, eating a great BLT sandwich at a diner with a cup of hot coffee, watching your kid do something funny or goofy that's just very minor that nobody else would even care about, but to you it's very special. Even in owning a dental practice, just little things that a patient says or does, or you know, doing the simplest composite filling or whatever. And we're so focused on our careers and our goals and on earning money and on what the next step is in our lives that we don't enjoy every sandwich. And as you said, you're guilty of some things. Looking back, I had so many great small moments in my life that I probably didn't appreciate enough. So I really think I would, I would tell myself to enjoy every sandwich. Yeah, I, I'd love that, man. And I, I'm trying to think of there's maybe a movie that I just recently saw or maybe a kid's book I just recently read. I, I can't remember where it came from. But I was talking to my daughter about the theme, and that was it. It was like happiness is already here. There's already so much amazing things happening all around us, and that we just we just become numb to it. We just pass through, and we're waiting for the next thing to get us there. The next thing doesn't get us there. I, I, I love that you brought that up. So true. And there's so many cliches, or maybe adages, because cliches has a negative connotation. Adages, um, something like, enjoy the journey, not the destination. You know, so whatever hits you. And I've heard them all and, you know, kind of, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but enjoy every sandwich said by a dying man whose songwriting I love and admire just really did it for me. So I, I remember that one. But whatever form of that works for you, just enjoy all the small moments. Love it. Love it. All right. Share a story where you learned a valuable business lesson from an experience or the hard way. Well, I'll do a dental office lesson. I, I had this funny habit when I first started my practice that um, we didn't have that many new patients. So when a new patient came in, I was psyched out of my mind. And actually, I, uh, I had this weird habit of going into my private office because it overlooked the parking lot. So I peer through the Venetian blinds when a new patient was scheduled. And if, you, if you're a fan of the old show, Bewitched, the old, uh, I guess it was black and white, I don't know, the old s- stupid sitcom they had this nosy neighbor named Gladys Kravitz. She was always peering through the Venetian blinds. And my staff actually nicknamed me Gladys Kravitz. <laughs> I'd run into my office. They said, oh, Gladys Kravitz is at it again. And I'm in there kind of peering through the blinds. And this beat-up station wagon pulls out. And this guy gets out. And he's got the mechanic's coveralls with his name on it. And he's got grease under his fingernails. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. You know, I could really use a, a good high-end new patient right now. But this guy... Looks like a nice guy, but he's going to be a cleaning and filling, patching up kind of guy. And he came in and he shook my hand and gets grease all over my hand like I'm rubbing it on my, on my scrubs. And then he smiles and his, God, his gums were like, I don't know what they were, gray, green. And I'm just thinking, this guy needs so much treatment, but you know, he's a mechanic. And I, I made all the, all the incorrect assumptions about him. And to make the, the long story very short, it turned out that, yes, he was a mechanic, but he actually owned – a bus company in my area. And just uh, like a year before I met him, he negotiated contracts where he owned every school bus that operated in all the counties that surrounded Baltimore city. So he was a wealthy guy, but he was still a mechanic at heart. Like get in there and, you know, mess around with the engines and hang out with the mechanics. And I think I really undersold him and didn't talk a lot about comprehensive treatment. And, you know, we just did some, some cleanings and some patchwork. Fortunately that didn't bring him down and he came back and six months down the road, after we had a better relationship, we talked about some excellent dentistry. And I figured I might as well you know, talk to him about it. And I was just shocked. He said, yeah, I know I need this. I'm ready to do it. Let's appoint. Can I pay? And he wound up being a great referral source. And just the old lesson, you can't judge people by anything, by their job, their appearance. I, I think, you know, it's really crazy. But I think in the U.S., sometimes we tend to judge people that don't speak English well. Maybe they have a, a, a very strong accent because they don't have great English. Well, you know, that person with a very strong accent probably speaks two or three other languages. And we're just, you know, stupid Americans. All we do is speak English. So, you know, I've learned to kind of admire people where in the past I might have judged them the wrong way. And you just can't look at somebody and size them up. Get to know everyone. Get to know what they're all about, what makes them tick and their wants and needs. And don't just look at somebody and draw your picture because you're going to be wrong 99% of the time. Yeah, we just we just can't assume anything. It's so true. And we've all got stories like that. Every single dentist has that story. I, I, I love it. So, so before we get to the sexy six, what if the listeners want to, you know, find out about the Maddow Center, find out more about you, what you offer, where can they go? Am I one of the sexy six? I, I never heard of the sexy six before. I'm a little intrigued now. <laughs> it's I coming. I am. It's, okay, I excellent. shouldn't say it's coming. Well, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right, here it comes. All right. <laughs> I'm going to just end there and I'll say um, we'd love to hear from you. The Matter Center for Dental Practice Success is located in Baltimore, but we deal with dentists 
all over North America. We've been doing it for over 30 years. And uh, we really love to focus on not just your practice revenues and your wealth, but your practice happiness as well. So if you want to find out more, just simply go to matto.com. And Matto is spelled with one D. So it's M-A-D-O-W. Dot com. If you want to send me a personal email, I'd love to hear from you. I answer every email. It's rich, R-I-C-H, at matto.com. Our general inbox is info at matto.com, but you can hit me up personally, rich, R-I-C-H, at matto.com. And we've got a little free downloadable book. It's called Profitable Dental Scheduling. And Paul, it's something we talked about earlier, how the front desk people need to know how to get that potential patient off the phone and into the appointment book. And we go through a whole explanation of this and training and all that great stuff, including our famous Alaska system, which is just a flowchart to use on the telephone when a new patient calls. So that's a free downloadable book and it's matto.com slash profit. So it's M-A-D-O-W.com slash P-R-O-F-I-T. And that book can be yours. No obligation. We're not getting your credit card or anything like that. It's just a little, you have kind of an intro to the Matto Center for you. So we'd love to have you take advantage of that. Excellent. Well, I hope some listeners reach out to you. All right, let's move on to the Dental Practice Heroes Sexy Six. Six sexy questions. What is your favorite quote and what does it mean to you? Well, my favorite quote, I think of all time, is you're a musician, so you can probably guess it's from one of my favorite songs of all time, which is Subterranean Homesick Blues by Bob Dylan. And it's just simply, you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows. And what that means to me is we spend so much time maybe seeking advice and and doubting ourselves and overthinking things and having that that mental spiral where one thought gets worse than the next and the next but usually if you're looking for the answer to something it's been inside of you all along you know you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows you know what the right thing to do is you know what the right answer for you is whether you're thinking about how to ethically treat a patient or you're thinking about your personal relationship with with other people with your spouse your kids your family you know what the right answer is and you know what the right thing to do is sometimes it's the most difficult thing to do but you know what it is you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows can i do one more also it's kind of similar do it let's do it yeah i remember during my residency i was in surgical rotation not oral surgery but we rotated through the the medical surgical rotation so i was in the operating room every day and one time i was there with a bunch of other all the medical residents and the attending and we're examining a patient and I don't even remember what it was. They had some kind of infection and it was pretty obvious what the patient had. So the attendings, physicians asking all the different residents, what do you think this is? And they're all coming up with these crazy, you know, I think it's, you know, the, this crazy strain of virus that only exists in Tasmania, you know, this and that. The attending just looked at everybody and said, look, if it looks like shit and it smells like shit, you don't need to step in it to find out it's a big pile of dog shit. This is obviously, this, this you know, this is what it is. And it's like, why the answers the thing and it's kind of similar to you don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows people just look to these weird things it's 99 percent of the time the thing that's the most obvious is the thing that's true i love it man i don't swear enough on this show <laughs> we gotta change that i know all right question two so what the fuck are you reading right now <laughs> i always like to read one fiction and one non-fiction at the same time because i think well, you're a lot younger than I am, so maybe you're not burned out on this yet, but I, I went through this phase where I read every business and motivational book I could get my hands on. I got so burnt out from it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I really tried to tone that down and not read quite as many. So I'd like to read one fiction and one nonfiction. The nonfiction I'm reading right now is How to Write One Song by Jeff Tweedy. And you're from Chicago, so I'm sure you're familiar with the band Wilco. Jeff Tweedy is an amazing songwriter. And I think... And you're a songwriter, too. I'm a songwriter. You, you can't teach songwriting, but right. I love to read books by the great songwriters. I've read you know, a million books about Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen and all the true greats. And I think Jeff Tweedy's one of the true greats. And I heard an interview about this book. He said he doesn't think he can teach songwriting. It's, there's so much magic in it. But he can give somebody the structure, anybody, to write one song. And he talks about how he gets motivated to work, to think, the different exercises he goes through. And I just think it's a fascinating book. I'm loving every second of it. And I actually use those principles to write one song. And I think it turned out really well. So How to Write One Song is the nonfiction book. The fiction book I'm reading is The Dragon Twins by Michelle Maddow. Michelle Maddow is a, a highly acclaimed young adult author. She's a USA Today bestselling author. She's published 30 books. 
and she is one of the top 50 authors on Kindle, not just in her genre, but the entire Kindle store. She writes mostly young adult, kind of crazy, I guess you'd call it fantasy fiction, not sexual fantasy, because I know where you're going. I already know how you work mm-hmm. here, but you know, <laughs> kind of those, those weird characters in different worlds and realms. So I'm reading The Dragon Twins by Michelle Maddow. If you've noticed, her last name is the same as mine. Yes, Michelle Maddow. I did. I was going to ask. She is my daughter, and she's amazing. She's an incredible writer. How about that? So proud of that. So she's she's unbelievable. Ah, That's so awesome, man. I have been burnt out on the business books and all the leadership and the communication. And and I remember my, my wife was like, what are you reading right now? And I'm like... Old Man in the Sea. And we read it in high school. And I didn't like it in high school. It's a great book. And then I I went on a fiction kick for a while. And and I wouldn't say I'm always reading fiction, you know, along with the other books. But there's a lot of times you just got to get away from the... It's it's just... Sometimes I can't find a single business leadership communication book, self-help that interests me. Isn't it amazing how great those books that we were forced to read actually turned out to be? I know. There's a reason The Old Man in the Sea has been considered a great book for however long. You know, those those books by John Steinbeck, I mean, they are awesome books. I know, I know. And it's so cool. Listeners, try that out. Read the stuff you hated reading in high school and you'll find something. You'll find it different now that you're older. Absolutely. I don't know about Silas Marner. I don't know how well that one's aged. I haven't read that one. I think they made our grandparents read that book. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Recommend a single book that all dentists should read. Oh, how about all people should read? All people. Do it. Dentists are people too, aren't they? Yeah, I think we're people. I'm a big fan of The Four Agreements by Don Miguel Ruiz. It's an amazing book. It just gives four simple principles to live by. I could just list the four principles, but you wouldn't be getting any backstory. It wouldn't do it any justice, so I'm not going to do it. Have you read it, Paul? I have read that, and I don't even remember what the four were, but I, I'm going to look it up. Don't Let's not give it away. <laughs> it's a great... Now, the, the first part of it's a little cosmic and new agey. I respect that stuff. It's not really my thing. That part, you might find a little too whatever, a little too food for new agey, but stick with it, because when he gets to the actual four agreements, it is... I know this is an overused term, but it's absolutely life-changing. Great. All right. Recommend a seminar or continue an education. Well, I hope everybody listens to Dental Practice Heroes, of course. It's an amazing podcast. If you want to listen to our podcast, too, it's called The Dental Practice Fixers. And we do mystery shopper calls every week. So you can find that wherever podcasts are found. I'll just say my two favorite speakers in dentistry, if you ever have a chance to see Dr. Mike Natola or Dr. Steve Rasner speak, oh, you absolutely yeah. should. They are both. Well, Mike Natola is fucking hilarious, since I know I can yeah. say that now. yeah one of the funniest guys in dentistry, but he was for many years, the clinical director for Glidewell lab, which is the large, I think it's the largest dental lab in the world. So he's got such an amazing perspective and just such great stories. And he's been on, he's like a clinical key opinion leader. So he talks clinical, but he always does it from a every man's perspective or an every dentist's perspective. I should say every man and every woman's perspective, but he's so damn funny. So he will teach and, and, and Steve Rasner, Absolutely the most inspiring dentist. He's got a $6 million practice in one of the most rundown, crime-ridden, high unemployment rate cities in the country. And he's just so incredibly inspiring. He does so much for his community. And you will absolutely, he's a great clinical teacher, but you'll learn so much about how to relate to people and how to become a a big wig or let's say a highly loved person in your community if you take his advice. So they're my two faves. Yeah, Rasner, he was at our Chicago AGD, and this is right early into my dental career, but he brought the room down. People were crying, and it just, it changed me. At at that point in my career, I'm like, man, this is the stuff I want to do. I want to provide this patient experience. I want to do this. And he's such a great example of just the excuses sometimes dentists make. It's not, this doesn't work in my area. This doesn't work with my clientele. I mean, he's got a thriving fee-for-service practice in a really rundown area. And I love listening to Steve speak, yeah. And same thing with Mike, yeah. Yeah, and I'm glad to say I'm actually really good friends with both of them. And we chat on the phone from time to time. I just talked to Mike for like two hours yesterday. And they're the real deal. Again, as you said, TBSC, for 25 years, we've hired the best speakers in dentistry and outside of dentistry, motivational and celebrities. And I'm just amazed how many dental speakers, you know, on the circuit, they're lighting up the stage and then backstage, they're just the biggest a-holes. I mean, it's it's really disheartening. Steve and Mike, both just great, great guys. Wow. All right, let's move on to the next question. Please share an analogy that you use to communicate an idea to a patient. 
Yeah, okay, here's one that we all hate. When a patient says, why did it hurt before you did the filling? The tooth was fine before you did the filling. Then you did the spelling and the tooth is killing me now, blah, 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 blah. You know, first of all, it's always good to, to preempt that by giving them the expectation that it's normal for a tooth to become a little bit uncomfortable before you do a filling. But, I, you know, I remember when patients said that to me, I used to say, you know, anytime you deal with a part of the human body where you're actually treating it and removing things in it, it just stirs up the nerve tissue. It's kind of like if you had a mole on your arm. Everybody can relate to this. The mole doesn't hurt. But when the dermatologist removes the mole and puts the bandaid on there, it's going to be sore as heck for a few days. And then it heals and it gets better. And it's the exact same thing with the tooth. What you're going through is a totally normal bodily response to what we did. And just take a few Motrin. It'll be better in a few days. Boom. And the other one, and again, this is one we've heard a million times, but I think it's very effective when a patient has perio disease, but they just want to get their crown or their, their whitening or whatever. And you say, you know, that, that would be like building a house on a swamp. It's going to look good the day you put it up, but the whole thing's going to sink and it's going to fail. I love that, man. I love the mole one. I've, I've never had a great answer for that. I've never had a great analogy for wow. that. Wow. No, I can't wait to use Changing it. Changing everything here. Yeah. Okay. All right. Last thing. If you had three pieces of advice for a new dentist or soon-to-be graduate, what would they be? Oh, man. You're killing me here. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how about Il Meglio El Nemico del Bene? What's that? It sounds Italian. <laughs> I'm not Italian, but <laughs> perfection is the enemy of good. Dentists are perfectionists, and we can drive ourselves crazy, and you cannot always be perfect, but you can always be really good but sometimes you've got to know when really good is good enough and not beat yourself up because we haven't achieved perfection in everything we do so that's one thing i'll give a few i don't know if it's going to be three another one is don't compare yourself to others it's so you know you go to the local dental meeting and everybody's telling you how great their practices are and they just bought a house in southwest florida and they're their vacation home and you know first of all who cares secondly a lot of times they're full of crap and, and one thing they're not telling you is how much debt they're in to do all these things. So you just got to do what's right for you. Don't worry about what anybody else is doing. And if somebody else is doing a lot better than you and they really are, well, congratulate them. That's fantastic. And if you want to aspire to that, that's one thing. But don't get envious and don't, don't start comparing yourself to others. Here's another piece of advice that I've used many times in my life that I've learned the hard way. If you're really upset about something, if you're upset about a patient or a practice situation or something in your personal life, whatever. Just take a pause, take a deep breath and think to yourself, this thing that I'm so upset about, will this matter five hours from now? Will it matter five days from now, five months from now? Will this matter five years from now? And you, you really learn that nothing really matters. <laughs> it's yeah. just all these things, that, things and things and things that bother you, you're going to get over them. They're just, they're not such a big deal. They seem like such a traumatic thing at the time, but they're not going to bother you five years from now or maybe even five minutes from now. Yeah. Great advice. So I'll, I'll give you another, I'll, this is an Armado original. I don't know how much Yiddish you speak, but it's zero. <laughs> zero. Okay. <laughs> but I'll bet you've heard these terms before. There's a fine line between a mensch and a schmuck. Now, <laughs> <laughs> a mensch is a really good person. The kind of person that would do anything for anybody. A mensch is the kind of person you want to call at 3 a.m. when you're driving your car down the highway with a mattress on top and the mattress falls off. And you know that person is the kind of friend that's going to say, where are you? And be there. A mensch is just, they do good things for others. They love doing good things for others. But a schmuck is somebody that other people take advantage of. They're, all, they're a sucker for everything. And there's really a fine line between a mensch and a schmuck because it's great to be a good person and do good things for others, but you take it too far and you become the kind of person that people take advantage of. So you really got to know there's a fine line between being a mensch and being a schmuck. Yeah, great advice, man. Gosh, well, Richard, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. I, I had a blast doing this. I, 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 I had a great time too, Paul. It was so much fun. Gosh, and I, I think we share so much as far as like, I guess, our vision and just what we believe dentistry should be and, and just all of the aspects of just all these these dumb things that smart dentists do. I mean, you, you sent me a list and we got through almost half of them. But gosh, I'm intrigued. I want to hear the other ones. But yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime, man. I'll be back. I'll be, look, I've done all the dumb things, so I can tell you all about it. All right. Well, thanks so much for taking time out of your day to spend with the listeners. I know they got a lot out of it. Thank you for everything you contribute to the profession, man. You've been around a long time, and you're still doing it and still loving it. And 
still uh, give it a lot of value to dentists. So I commend you for that. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Paul. It's been a blast.